Hey there, language lovers. Shannon Kennedy here, along with my co-host, Benny Lewis, for a new episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. And in this episode, we're chatting with Jeremy Bardo, a language learner who originally wrote off studying languages because he didn't believe he had the language gene. After discovering Fluent in three months, he realized in his words, this was nonsense, taught himself Spanish, and is now recording music in the language. In our conversation with Jeremy, we cover the myth of the language gene, overcoming perfectionism by finding joy in embarrassing moments, finding balance in your language studies, cognates and how they can help you, and using a Spanish phrasebook as a conversation starter. If you enjoy this episode of the podcast, we always appreciate hearing from you. You can leave us a review at languagehacking.com slash review. All of the links, resources, and everything else mentioned in this episode are available to you as a part of the show notes. So let's get into our conversation with Jeremy. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 72. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast. I'm joined by my co-host, Shannon, as always, and we are interviewing Jeremy Bardo today. So Jeremy is a musician, anthropologist, translator, writer, poet, and magician who has a very interesting story and uh FI3M happened to play a minor role in his language learning journey. So we would love to hear his entire background. So thank you, Jeremy, for joining us on the show today. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. And you said you played a minor role. I would like to just correct that to you played a major role by virtue of the butterfly effect. If it wasn't for you and uh, your website and your books and so on, it's highly likely this would not have happened. So can we change that to a major role, please, Tony? <laughs> I do appreciate that. Well, let's let's start from the beginning. Uh, before we get into uh, maybe where I started to play a role, like how did you get into language learning? What didn't work? And then how did you discover my stuff? A very good question. So I actually um, set myself a kind of challenge, but it was a challenge I set before I major knowledge about language learning. I got a job uh, in Chile, and it was a government scheme that they had, and I believe still have, called the English Open Doors Program. And basically, as long as you can afford a flight to Chile and you get through the interview and so on, they will give you accommodation with a Chilean family, and they'll give you a small allowance, and you have to be the teaching assistant in government state schools, basically, to help raise their standard because they've got a big problem, as with much of the world, where um, sort of people in government schools and so on are not getting as acquiring English as high as in the private sector. So people, um, well, gringos, should we say, people as well from many countries that a high level of English speaker could work out there. Anyway, that was my move out to Chile, the reason I went there. But it was a double mission, partly to, to be teaching in these government schools, but also I decided I wanted to get Spanish. I didn't want to go through my adult life without mastering a language which I perceived to be very beautiful. And um, so I arrived actually <laughs> with very little Spanish, with seven words. I always joke, I had seven words. Si, no, gracias, um, la vida loca. <laughs> and I can't remember the other one, quizás or something like that. Anyway, so I arrived with virtually nothing. My inspiration, actually, for my mission was a Spanish guy, a student who I met when I was at university, and he'd moved to England and somehow, within a couple of months, nailed English from a, and I watched him because he'd lived in my student accommodation, arrived with little English, two months, nailed it. And he told me his secret was the minute you get into the country, you've got to be really strict on not making too many friends of your native language. So I wanted to do the same in Chile. I thought I can be like that guy, I'll rock up there. And I did the first week with our training, because there was a lot of other gringos, if we're going to use that term. And I was polite and friendly, but I just focused on making Spanish-speaking Chilean friends. But I hadn't done any more research into language learning. I just had that thing in my mind of like, okay, get native friends quickly from the start. And it was snowballed from there. And that's where the naivety kicks in. And that's where I realized, oh, 
Oh, okay. Well, that, <laughs> I'm kind of doing well at that. But if I've only got seven words of Spanish and then I'm only growing it, you know, quite slowly, very quickly, these friendships get, <laughs> I wouldn't use the word awkward, but very limited in what you can actually achieve in those friendships without, you know, I remember resorting to being Mr. Bean a lot because I always want to get a laugh and I couldn't get it linguistically. So I started just doing a lot of slapstick comedy with people around me, which uh, I got the laughs, but not the language. And then, and then, and then after a lot of Googling, somehow someone recommended this. I think he just called you this Irish fella knows what he's doing or something like that. I can't remember the exact sentence. It was someone on a blog. And I clicked, and the minute I saw the picture of you, I was sold. It was you in a quirky hat with about 10 people around you with a big grin. And I just thought immediately, no, that's the guy I want. That's, that's what I'm after, you know, because I don't want grammar tables and all that. Obviously, eventually I do, but I'm in this for the laughs. I'm in this for the fun. I'm in this for the friendships. And the minute I discovered what you were building and achieving and so on, I was like, I'm that's I'm in I'm in. <laughs> so it sounds like you went from not believing that you had the quote unquote language gene to having quite a bit of confidence in the language. So can you talk a little bit about what happened as a part of that transition from, you know, being the person who goes for the laughs because you're not feeling that confidence in the language to being someone who really speaks the language today? That's a very good question because um, there's sort of different stages, aren't there? And your point about the language gene, um, that's one of the biggest myths that has to be busted, I think, by any language learner. They have to start from the premise, and this, and Benny's written a lot about this, this applies to so many skills or talents or anything you're trying to, to, to achieve, you know, whether you're, whether it's fitness or whether it's singing or whatever it is. Um, and the basic premise I took was that I need to kind of, find this happy medium between not being a perfectionist and reaching too far and too high, which is when that kind of kicks in. Because then you go, oh, no, it's other people that can aim high and not me. I haven't got the gene. But equally not aiming too low that I'm just getting stuck in the present tense and unable to tell a story. And I think what I discovered was, and I think, again, it applies to so many things, is finding the balance between pushing myself enough that I'm making progress, but chilling the hell out at the same time if I accidentally make a mistake. And in fact, something I loved was when I made a mistake, um, and this is not everyone's cup of tea, but I, I quite like being embarrassed. And I, I, I remember I made a mistake once. <laughs> and I, I meant to say, um, estoy directo. Like I'm being direct because I said something. And instead I said, estoy erecto, which is I am erect. I have an erection. <laughs> and interestingly, that one mistake, that one mistake between erecto and directo was the moment where I nailed forever the difference in Spanish between the E sound and the E sound, which in English we can blur. In fact, different accents like Scottish will make an you know, the I can become more like an E, important and whatever. And from that moment on, from that mistake, I was like, this is the best mistake I've ever made because I don't ever want to tell anyone again that I'm erect. And the only way I can do that is by remembering this linguistic kind of shift. And I would have moments like that where I would make maybe a big progress. You know, that was a big jump in Spanish to get E and E and to really train it. And then I would just have other days where I wouldn't, make huge progress, but it would be like treading water. And I think that's another important part of when I say balance. I think there's days where you have to push it. You have to really, you know, if you're getting into subjunctive, you can't learn the Spanish subjunctive without a bit of pain. But then you've equally got to have the next day off and just chill the hell out and maybe watch a soap opera in Spanish and maybe just do something more passively. And I think that's what I finally learned was enjoy the journey, push yourself, but don't hurt yourself to the point that you then end up, as you said, kind of blaming yourself, thinking you haven't got the language gene or maybe you're doing something wrong and so on. So I would love to know, because uh, one of the things I think one of my biggest um, messages that I try to get across to people is speak from day one. 
But you already had that in mind. Your Spanish friend had already convinced you, you know, exactly like you said, he showed you, you arrive in the country, you only speak your target language. It's going to make a world of difference. So I didn't need you to convince you to speak from day one. So what uh, did you pick up from um, checking out my my blog articles and stuff? What were the lessons you initially started to learn? And what did you not know that wasn't incorporated into the basic speak from day one idea you already had? Well, Benny, I mean, I don't have to tell you this, but you, you, my friend, are far more than just speak from day one, and that's your only piece of advice. So yeah, the speak from day one thing I already got from that Spanish guy, but I got loads and loads of tips from your website and from your... At that time, I don't think your book had come out. This is 2013. But I read a lot of your blogs and also stuff that you you also have been very good at recommending other people and, and, and others and so on. But to kind of give a summary of some of the things which I, I got straight away from your blog, the first one I've already mentioned was about chilling out and enjoying the ride. And I think linked with that, there was a very interesting thing you said about the motivating factors for getting the language. Because one of the things you wrote a lot about is... You know, if you're doing this to show off or if you're just doing it for the CV or something, fine. If that's you, go for it. But like, there's so many other reasons to get a language. And I think, you know, enough kind of life coaches or whatever will say this about you need to have a why before you have a how and all that um, cliche jargon. But I really do think that the first thing you did was you grounded me into kind of reminding myself, why am I doing this? And there were so many reasons I was doing them. One was I wanted to really access another culture on a different level. You know, I didn't just want to speak to people in Chile that could speak English. That's a certain demographic. Um, the other is to enjoy the language and engage with it. You know, there's words, I'm sure you've got thousands of words in the languages you've discovered that you just love saying. I've always loved saying in Spanish, estoy muy contento. And there's something about saying contento. That feels happy. Whereas if I say in English, I'm really content. I'm really happy. It just doesn't feel, I don't feel it as I say it. So there's that, you know, enjoying the language and there's accessing the culture. When it's accessing the culture as well, it's not just people, but it opens the door to songs and music. And I'd always as a child really liked, um, Buena Vista Social Club, the Cuban album. And suddenly I was like, geez, I, I've all, I already enjoy this. Imagine if I know what the hell they're singing about. So there's that too. Um, so I think definitely, you know, reminding oneself of why one's doing it. And it doesn't have to be the same reason that people do at school. You know, it's not to pass a, an exam. I've never needed a Spanish qualification for anything, might never need one at all. Um, anyway, the other things you taught me, um, I've always been, someone that's actually avoided technology a lot. I'm still someone that doesn't have social media, apart from now a YouTube account with one video on it. Um, but you did, I would say, convert me to the power of technology when it comes to language learning, especially with things like Memrise, something where you get spaced repetition and the algorithms are 10 times better than me like keeping a tabs on every time I remembered or didn't remember a word and then pinging it back to my, you know, only technology can get that precision. So I engaged with the technology and I found that that advice really grew my vocabulary faster because I remember you mentioning how that sort of old school technique of putting the English word on one side of the page and then the other language word on the other side and then just sort of covering it with your hands and just hoping for the best. Um, I remember when you just wrote about that and said, you know, <laughs> a lot of old school stuff is great, you know, not that. And memorize, I would definitely say I got out of you. That's a great tool. Um, another thing I definitely got out of you was the stop making excuses. I like the way that you wrote about this because others can be quite brutal about this, you know, sort of fitness people that are, you know, do your, you know, <laughs> and, and it was you put it in a very elegant way. Because I think because you yourself had made excuses and because you yourself, and to this day, and I, I want to mention that, Benny, even what you've been doing recently with mental health, because you are someone willing to say, look, I'm as riddled with all the faults and problems and, and difficulties myself. The minute that sold it to me, you know, whereas a lot of, I found a lot of people um, 
that are giving advice. They give off the image that they are like this sort of guru that's infallible and perfect and you just need to raise your game to them. Whereas you were saying, no, I messed up. I will still mess up. I'm still going to make grammar mistakes. Um, I'm still going to have days when I don't actually achieve quite what I want to achieve. Sometimes I set myself a target of C2 and I hit C1, but it's okay. Um, so I think that's another element that I got out of your website, that kind of, um, you know, don't make excuses, but equally, you're a human being. You're not a robot at the same time. And it's perfectly, uh, it's perfectly normal if you do mess up. And if you do just, you know what, go off the rails a couple of days and do no grammar. Um, the other thing I would say you definitely taught me, um, which is something that's obvious, but which I feel your blog brings up a lot, um, is meetups. Um, I've always been a sort of social person as I, and I mentioned I've always been more of an offline person. But again, you sold me on the online world for this because the online world is a great way to find the offline world. Um, you know, I'm not going to find a, you know, I'm in London at the moment. I'm not going to sp- find a Spanish language meetup just by walking around and sort of going up to random people saying, Hey, do you know, do you know anyone that might be speaking a bit of Spanish? No, instantly Google Spanish language meetups, boom. And it, the online world can get you into the offline world. And I, I remember you writing a piece. <laughs> I it, it made me laugh because you said, um, you said that basically you can't invent, you can't invent anything better than just meeting up with a native person. Like you can't simulate that with a robot. There's nothing actually better than that. You know, if you were to invent something, and, and I think I like that contrast because what I then got was I got memorized in my spare time. So when I was on my own, I would hit the memorize, build the vocabulary and do the kind of stuff, which is sort of self-study where self-study helps and then go out and spend hours around Spanish speakers of different levels and then be activating that. And I think you then reach a point where you're then buzzing because you're buzzing because memorize has got all those techie things that make you feel good and hook you in and flash, you know, well done and all that and points and all that. And then you go out and you're chatting to people and then they're making you feel good because most people want you to succeed. And most people will, and I hope I'm always like this. If ever I'm with anyone who's trying to speak English and I teach English now as well, I try and just say, look, this is amazing. This isn't your native language. And you've just told me a joke and made me smile. Well done. Yeah. So I got sort of this double buzz. I was getting a buzz off the, the tech side of self-study and then a buzz off the social side. And then it becomes kind of whirlwind, I would say. And I ended up in a kind of whirlwind out there, but it was a whirlwind that would never have happened had I not been sort of steered in the right direction. And as I say, it kind of all started of that, with that picture of you just seeming to be having a good time. It wasn't you with a grammar book suffering. One final thing I'll mention that I got out of all of your work that you've done online and so on. I do remember you saying as well, and this is especially the case with Spanish is cognates, the joy of cognates and Michelle Thomas of all people. I just before I left for Chile, I listened to a, a thing of his. And that stuck with me as well, because he was saying about there being sort of 2,000 words that are connected with English. And that has forever stuck with me, um, because I just thought, this is a rocket science. If people are able, in, as adults, to learn Chinese and to learn Japanese, then surely I can acquire Spanish when there's thousands more words in common and an alphabet that, you know, bar the odd letter, is virtually the same. So I love to engage with cognates. And I also love the challenge in, in one of your tech talks, you'd say about, you know, if you want to say the word country, and um, I can't remember if you, if it's, you were talking about fr- in French or Spanish, but if you want to say country and you can't think of the word country, you think, ah, but what's the synonym? Well, country is a nation. And then you go, ah, words with shun, nation, and then you're there. So I started to engage then with English on a different level because I started to think about English and all of these cognates we have. And um, bizarrely, I think learning Spanish has actually increased my English vocabulary usage, I would say. You know, I haven't necessarily learned many more words in English, but definitely it's activated something in me that means I'm now speaking more English words than I, I was before, more synonyms, perhaps.
Oh, there's one final thing that um, I found very useful from your blog, which was to use a phrase book. And I really enjoyed that, especially in the early stages. You mentioned the importance of that because I've always enjoyed carrying some kind of little book around with me. It's partly, again, because I'm not majorly into the tech world and I didn't have a smartphone back in 2013 at all. But I loved a little book and there's something about a little book. And I think this is even more the case now that people are so used to not carrying books. It's kind of cute if you pull it out and it's a conversation starter. So I found if I had this little, little Spanish phrase book in my pocket or whatever, and I'd pull it out and other Spanish speakers, uh, you know, Chilean people as well, they would love to look at it because they could, they could engage with that book because it had their language in it and they would joke around with it and they would say, Oh, and then they would say the word and then they would also sometimes jokingly try and say the English. You mentioned in your intro that I'm a magician. Um, in my lifetime, I've noticed the difference now of carrying a pack of cards. Because 15 years ago, pre-smartphones and everything, if I had a pack of cards on me, no one was impressed. You got to really make the trick good. Whereas I now find it, once I've pulled out the pack of cards, people are just so amazed I'm carrying it that half the trick's done. <laughs> They're like, oh my God, you carry cards. And I think the same with the phrase book. There's something about a little phrase book in the language that it's handy for me if I'm on a little bus journey or just a little bit bored. I can have a quick flip through and it's so engaging with people around. And also the final thing I'd say about the phrase book in those kind of early stages of learning Spanish and being in Chile and having a low level, it's very difficult to kind of keep kind of conversation going. And the book was like the most amazing, um, thing. It was like this kind of get out of jail free card. If ever any conversation dried up or anything was any problem, I'd pull out the book and go, Oh, um, this phrase. And instantly, every, anyone in the room or whatever, they, they understood. Honestly, I can't stress enough for anyone starting out in a new language that's doing the speak from day one and they're in that country. If you can get a mini phrase book, a pocket sized one that goes in your pocket. Um, it kind of in some ways even trumps the best apps you'll ever get on a smartphone just because it opens and it's cute and it engages with everyone around you. Um, so I would like to thank you for that little recommendation because until I'd read your recommendation of that, I kind of thought maybe a phrase book was an amateurish kind of silly, silly thing to have. But really the reason why a phrase book is so useful, as you stress, is you're learning actual sentences that are really important. I'm fine. Some of the sentences are about what time's the train where well, you're not going to use that nowadays. You can see on the screen, but other ones have like, you know, how are you? I'm good. Thanks. How are you? I honestly, I can't stress this enough. If anyone listening has got just a few pounds, a few euros, a few dollars, get yourself a Facebook. All of them are in charity shops, thrift stores, Amazon, you know, get, get a second hand copy that cost you nothing and it could be life changing. Maybe you'll pull it out one day and that will be the, the thing that meets your future wife or husband. Who knows? God knows. But yeah, phrase books. That's the other thing you, you got me enjoying and I'll never, ever, ever get bored of carrying a phrase book. So it sounds like you have a lot of takeaways. And I'm curious, since you said that you speak or you teach English as well, how you carry over some of these things that you yourself have learned as a language learner into helping other people learn languages? Very good question, because, you know, there's two sides to the coin. There's the learning the language and the teaching it. And how has learning helped me with the teaching it? First and foremost, and I like to think I've always been like this, but the more so now, complimenting people, praising people when they get something right. Um, it's one of the tragedies that so many people, um, when they've gone on their language learning journey, they're very worried about making it wrong, doing something wrong, and then they get told it that they've done it wrong. And it kind of proves to them, as you mentioned, the language gene, they go, oh, no, I haven't got the gene. Yeah, I thought I was wrong, and they've just told me I've got it wrong. I'm obsessed with praising, but not in any kind of false way either. I do think there is a line where you don't, you don't just kind of <laughs> just anything anyone says, just go, yes, yes, you're the best in the world. You know, there is obviously a limit, but I tend to just think I start from the premise of is this student making an effort? And if they're clearly making an effort, if they clearly have done some homework or if they're clearly breaking through the barrier of feeling anxious or ashamed or anything, I need them to know that I'm recognizing that they've even, 
they've achieved something, even if they're, what they're saying is so limited. It's better than nothing. So definitely, in terms of teaching, is giving people that encouragement. Because they also, like I say, it's not a fake thing. It's a real thing. The vast majority of people don't voluntarily go on a language journey. And therefore, just the mere fact that someone's on that journey, I think they should be praised and reminded of what they're doing. Um, because to put it bluntly, a lot of people around them will actually not really get it. You know, family members, maybe their friends or whatever, you know, think, what are, what are you wasting time doing that? Or why do you, or they'll, or they'll start going down the line of, well, is that language useful enough for you? Or, and so on. So I think I want to, the job of the teacher is definitely to kind of be a counterweight to any of the criticism they've had around. That said, it is also the job of the teacher to spot errors. But in my mind, and I think this has been important from the learning bit, the key question is, how serious is the error? If someone is making a minor error and it's kind of irrelevant, I'm going to leave it if they're in the early stages. It always amazes me, for example, that if someone were to say, she don't want to go to the cinema or something. It amazes me that that at an early, at the very first lessons, people will be correcting that saying she doesn't. Because uh, to be honest, many, many people, native speakers say she don't. You listen to the Beatles, they'll say, she's got a ticket to ride and she don't care. Now, <laughs> are you going to start correcting John Lennon? You know, it, it, there's sort of really small ones that aren't important. But then that same person, a month or two in, if they've got an exam coming up, I'll come down on that like a ton of bricks because <laughs> they failed the exam if they put she don't. But I think in the early stages, someone needs to just get into the rhythm of, of that. And I think there's a, a fear among teachers that they'll be giving their students bad habits, that if they don't correct that she don't thing in the first week, that that person for the next 20 years is going gonna, gonna to be saying she don't. In, in every email they write and so on. And it's simply not the case. It really isn't. And in fact, it's kind of, um, yeah. So, and I think it's much more important for me to be noticing bigger errors, um, where, where they could actually be in trouble. So in summary, with teaching language, I think encouragement is so important. I like the word encouragement, by the way, because it's got the word courage in it. Because the courage of someone going on this journey, I think that's what the principal thing is, is that encouragement. And it's that encouragement that often they're not getting elsewhere. Knowing when something's important and when it's not is important. I think the final thing I would say with teaching languages is if we're talking in the context of a one-to-one -one class, it's vital to understand your student because every student is different. The way they learn, the way they want to learn, the things they're passionate about, and so on. And I think it's so important as a teacher to be aware of the fact that people do learn in different ways. For example, I love music and poetry as two mediums to acquire the language. Some of my English students absolutely love that as well. Other of them, what's that Leonard Cohen lyric when he goes, but you don't really care for music, do you? <laughs> you know, some people, they just don't care for it. And it's very important that the teacher doesn't shove too much of their things down the throats of the student who actually maybe they don't love music, but maybe they're obsessed with Harry Potter. So you've got to roll with that. Roll with the Harry Potter films that if that's their thing, get them to watch some more of them and, and so on. I learned far quicker in Spanish when I was focusing on, on cultural phenomena <laughs> that I enjoyed. But really, look, I don't want to be on this podcast and um, pretend to be an expert in teaching. I'm in the early stages of teaching. I've got a few years experience and so on. I do think the final quality of a good teacher is to be a bit humble um, because there are so many facets to human psychology and in a changing world where people are changing the way they learn that I think every teacher needs to have some degree of humility. Students change and their society changes and the the dreams of people change. You know, this has been well tracked that what people, young people were dreaming about being and doing in the 1960s has vastly changed to now and will no doubt vastly change again in 30 years. And that's essential if you're going to get the right activities and conversations going. I think that uh, teachers teaching English for me, it's sometimes as much of a challenge as learning a language because to really teach well, 
requires a lot of um, thought and a lot of effort and constantly throws surprises that you're not expecting. So you've hinted at it a few times that you clearly have uh, this interest in music and you were able to record a music video in Spanish that ultimately went viral. So I'm really curious how you got into that because it's one thing to uh, follow in the advice that I give and I, I appreciate everything that you said about what you've picked up from my blog over the years. But like ultimately I'm getting people to get out there speaking the language as the priority. Uh, but you've gone beyond that and like to the next stage of producing content in the language at like this professional level. So like, uh, how did you make that switch? How did you get into producing music in Spanish and how did you get over any, um, mental barriers that I'm not good enough to sing in Spanish, things like that? How, how did you get to that point? Well, there's a lot of, a lot of things to unpack there. The first thing about, you know, your inspiration with getting me off the ground in Spanish and so on, but you said about, you know, actually content and so on. I would say, I don't know if you've ever been put in the same box as this guy, but the other guy who I'd say who was inspiring of in, in terms of taking it to the next level, as you put it, was um, Eddie Izzard. Have you interviewed him yet? <laughs> I wish I did. I <laughs> would love to listen to that. But anyway, he always inspired me from a creative perspective because what he managed to achieve in French, and he's going on to do in Spanish and he's even talk a bit of German and even apparently Russian next. What he did, which is what made me really passionate about it, is he actually turned it to his advantage. So with his French stand-up, he could almost do things that a native speaker couldn't do. Obviously not in terms of his vocabulary, because, you know, his vocabulary is smaller and his accent stronger and his grammar is all over the place, but it kind of became part of the charm and part of the comedy. And, you know, he's doing a sold-out show He's performing comedy and the whole act works precisely because he's in the different language. Now, obviously, he's very funny in English, let's be clear, but he kind of found a way to use language. And I suppose what I love about what he did is he, he embraced language, but also I like his mission. I think yourself, Benny and Eddie Izzard, what you're doing with language is effectively making the world a better place in a way that's perhaps quite subtle, um, but is so powerful because of that subtlety. Because what he's doing and his mission kind of idea is, is to kind of show that comedy, we go on about, you know, English humor and American humor is this. And, you know, I don't need to tell you this. Yes, humor. You've seen different types of jokes around the world and how some countries are darker, some are more brutal than others, some are more sarcastic, whatever. But ultimately, what he was trying to say was, that's all true, but there's also some universality to comedy where any joke should go, even in you know a tribe in the middle of nowhere, we could even cut through that barrier if you get the language and you get the right body movements and so on. And I loved what he did there, where he, he, he didn't want to get too parochial, too provincial with his comedy. Um, provincial comedy's got its place, but equally, this kind of universal comedy's got its place. And for him, language was a tool to do that. He didn't just want to be universal in English. He wanted to show he could dive into French and, and, and touch on something there. And I think that really touched me, what Eddie Isab was doing there. And it stayed with me. And I think this combination of your kind of blog and techniques for learning Spanish, well, sorry, your blog for learning any language, really, and his cultural output in the other language probably was in the back of my mind when the journey began to actually write music in Spanish. Now, fast forward, it still was not, though, based on those two things, it wasn't my ambition to be... To, to release any music in Spanish as such. It all happened due to a bizarre coincidence. So I got a job in Havana in Cuba as a writer, and I fell madly in love with a woman called Daniela. Um, but Daniela didn't want to be with me. She was quite happy being friends. Well, uh, it's a bit cliche, but unrequited love does tend to be a big inspiration. So, uh, yeah, she sort of became a muse, if you like. And she called me up one day and I was at a friend's house just playing on his piano. 
And she just said to me, uh, sorry, before I begin this story, she's fluent in English. Um, and we would sometimes speak English, sometimes speak Spanish, depending on her mood and my mood or whatever. We all sometimes just flick between the two sentence by sentence. Anyway, she called me up and I'm on the piano fiddling around. And she says, uh, Jeremy, what are you up to? And I've got no idea why, but I think because I really just wanted her to be with me, I was kind of trying to oversell myself. So instead of me just saying, oh, I'm not up to much, I'm just fiddling on the piano. I said to her, oh, I'm just writing a song, actually. <laughs> I think I, I thought if I could sell myself as this great songwriter, somehow she'll finally fall for me. I don't know. And But then she replied, so I've said, I'm writing a song. And she goes, lovely. It's the song for me. And then I thought, oh, no, she's called my Buffett, right? Uh, so I said, yeah, yeah, of course it is. And she said, well, that's great, because I'll be around in about one hour. You can play it to me then. So we hang up the phone, and suddenly I've realized I've just promised to the woman that I'm crazily in love with that I've been writing a song for her, and she's coming around in an hour, and I haven't been writing a song for her. So then I thought, oh, no, she's going to think I'm just another one of these guys full of uh, nonsense and full of lies and God, no, I'm going to end up in the graveyard in her mind of all these other guys that have always let her down and always lied to her. And I thought, no, I've got to write a song. And I thought, I can't, I can't. What, what? Wait a minute. Why don't I just play her a song I wrote a few years ago in English? But no, I can't do that. She's streetwise. She'll know. Maybe I've played that song to her before anyway, and she'll know. So I thought, ah, oh, I've got an hour. I'll write her a song. But I won't do it in English, just in case she thinks I'd written that song for a woman in England when I was growing up or something. So I'll write her a song in Spanish. Then she'll know it's for her. And just by chance, there were some flowers next to the piano. And so I got the chorus instantly. Las flores se abrirán para ti. That, that chorus came. And then I was like, brilliant. This is going to be easy. And then for the next 20 minutes, nothing else came. <laughs> So I go, it, it's going to be the worst song ever if she just arrives and I'm just going, Las flores se abrirán para ti and, no, and nothing more. And then the verse just came. And then I wrote the, the two verses just, it was almost like a cinematic kind of scene where I just polished off the second verse and then the doorbell went and I played her the song. And lo and behold, after that, we started going out with each other. So, um, there's the power of music and there's the power of language, more importantly, because I think um, it's been said enough. I think there's a Nelson Mandela quote about this, but I'm sure it's been said by me and other people that if you really want to touch someone's heart, you've really got to find a way to, to speak their language. On that topic, by the way, that's something I found out really early on with speaking a language, even from day one. Something I found is really handy. And for any listeners that are just starting, off in a new language is just find one or two words that will touch people, especially synonyms of good. I find that if you can find a, an eccentric synonym of good, people, and you, you can use that all day long. You know, if someone gives you some food, you can say good or whatever. But, you know, I'll give you an example. An Iranian guy I used to work with in a cafe many years ago up in Manchester. He used to make people happy all day long. And he, he made people happy just with two words. So his English level was very low, but he just kept saying these two words, lovely jubbly. <laughs> and he just, because he'd learned the phrase lovely jubbly, that it sounds nice, but also it's kind of like sort of old fashioned British kind of working class slang, but also it sounds cute as well. It's got many things going on in that. And it's got the word love in it, I suppose. But he would all day long just be like, okay, lovely jubbly. You know, serve someone coffee and they'll say, thanks, mate. And he'll go, it's okay. Lovely, lovely. And all day long, he just made people happy. And so I think you can, you don't have to touch someone's heart by writing a whole song in Spanish if they're a Spanish speaker. That's, that's in the bar quite high. But I do think you can touch people's hearts actually just with one or two, um, one or two words. So, um, yeah, there you go. Anyway, so hence I wrote the music and this song in Spanish, but the story doesn't end there. So it, we ended up going out. We ended up separating a few months later. And I had no ambition to record and release the love song I'd written for her. Virtually nobody had heard it. And as far as I was concerned, nobody would ever hear it. I might never play it again. It wasn't on my, on the forefront of my mind. 
And then I found myself at a party in Havana. And the guy that had invited me to the party said, oh, bring your guitar. Um, I often got invited to parties with my guitar to play the Beatles. The Beatles are actually really popular in Cuba. Um, they're popular in many countries in the world, but especially in Cuba, you know, they, they're for, for multiple reasons. And so I would often find myself at parties playing the Beatles. And I was at this party, there's about 20 of us, and uh, I was playing the Beatles or whatever, and some other songs. And there was this other musician at the party, and his name is Atanay. And I got talking to this guy because he played a few songs in Spanish, and they were just beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And he just said to me, just like, oh, have you ever written a song in Spanish? Just sort of making conversation. And I said, oh, yes, Adam, I wrote this sort of love song a few months ago. Do you want to hear it? And I played it to this guy. And he was, he just went, geez, man, like, you wrote this. You actually wrote this. I said, yeah, yeah. And he's like, I want to produce it. Are you free next Wednesday? And I said, yeah. Anyway, unbeknownst to me, this guy is one of the most famous musicians in Cuba. <laughs> I just thought he was a random guy at a party. <laughs> with a guitar, but his name's Athenay. Um, you can hear his music. He's obviously a lot of it's available online. And Athenay, um, he was very big in the late nineties and recently he's, he's, well, the last 10, 15 years turned his hand to production and he helped arrange the song. And that's how the song ended up snowballing into being professionally recorded. Um, and then with a music video. Um, but I, I don't have any ambition of being a pop star let alone in Spanish or, or having any popularity for my music. Music to me has always been a very intimate thing. I, um, I play in care homes, I play at parties, I play at weddings, I play at functions and so on, but it's never been, I've never been someone that wanted any kind of, to, well, to go viral as the term is today, but I ended up going viral. Um, so consequently, uh, in Venezuela, there's a lot of people that have listened to my music and, um, We'll see. I'm going on to do more videos and more songs. I've got a lot of people that want to collaborate with me. From the perspective of language, with this language speaking podcast, I think um, something that's interesting in creating things artistically in another language is you can kind of come at the language from a different angle and create stuff that maybe a native speaker wouldn't have created. I mean, it's blown my mind that I came up with this chorus, Las Flores se abrirán, which um, in English is flowers will bloom. In Spanish, they literally say open themselves, but flowers will bloom. And I thought there must be loads of songs with that kind of chorus. Lo and behold, no. no maybe someone in some village once came up with a, a chorus like that, but there's sort of ways that you can invent stuff in a different language that a native wouldn't initially have kind of structured it and it perhaps why abba wrote good songs in english i don't know maybe they're approaching the language differently they say this about joseph conrad as well that wrote heart of darkness over 100 years ago i think english was his fourth language but somehow that wasn't a handicap for him somehow it helped him write sort of interesting prose so i think anyone listening that is curious about creating in another language it can actually be sometimes to your advantage. I say sometimes, I have written a lot of really bad songs in Spanish as well. <laughs> it doesn't always mean that you, just as you're, you're not a native speaker, you come up with awesome choruses and poetic verses. For every song like that, I'm sure I've written about 10 that are dreadful and must never see the light of day ever. <laughs> One of the questions we always like to ask our guests uh, who are join us on the podcast, given that this is the language hacking podcast, is what is your definition of language hacking? Well, um, to be honest, for me, it's a feeling. It's not a logical thing, right? I think with other stuff in life, you know, if you manage to get the certificate, that, that you know, certificates are indicators. And um, for me, it's a feeling. I got the feeling several months in. And I think I'm someone that tends to lead with feelings more than thoughts. And I started to feel it several months in. And it's a very subtle thing. And I can give direct examples of when I feel I'd hacked it. Um, I think definitely to return to comedy, when I managed to tell a joke that was wordplay in Spanish and got a huge laugh by everyone around me. There's a sort of literal example. Where I, th I thought, gee, I've really hacked into this. 
But I think it's a feeling and it's a kind of feeling that as feelings are very difficult to describe and it's why we have all these artistic outlets to try and summarize feelings and, and deduce them and, and get them out. But for me, hacking a language is a feeling and it sounds cliche, but it, you only know it once you feel it. The same as other things, you know, it's like, what's your definition of falling in love? You know, um, cause it, it, I, for me, it's not unrelated to love. I think especially as well, because it's something that is a connection between yourself and people. Ultimately, language hacking, the, for the vast majority of people that are language hacking, what it comes down to in the end is a human connection on a different level to what they've normally had. And so in that respect, it's not, it, there's a crossover with, with it and the sort of sensation of love of when you suddenly get those connections with people and I remember Benny once talking about being at a bus stop in Italy. And I think, Benny, your language of Italian, it was in the early stages. But you just had enough to be able to keep this conversation going with uh, an older lady who was telling you about the Second World War. And that feeling of kind of, wow, and the vividness of what she's telling you, and this is another human being, and, and the feeling as well that she's actually getting to be heard. You know, when was the last time she'd maybe told those stories about, about what she'd gone through then? And that kind of connections that you create. Um, so I, I, you know, I do kind of think maybe hacking, it can be a deceptive word because hacking in other contexts, you know, hackers aren't, aren't necessarily great. Um, and I, as I mentioned earlier, I think people like Benny and, and Eddie Izzard as well are making the world a much better place. You know, it, it, it the world, Ultimately, so much conflict, so much problem in just between two people or between two countries comes down to miscommunications. Um, and I think enhanced communications, the knock on effect is, is incredible. So I think my definition of language hacking is a feeling you get and it's a feeling of human connection in another language that would not have been possible had you not acquired that language. I think that would be my definition. Very good. I appreciate that. So th this has been absolutely fascinating, Jeremy, and I'm going to make sure that we have uh, links to your work in the show notes so people can check you out and uh, follow you as your journey continues. And uh, thank you for sharing the story. And I appreciate all the kind words about um, my um, contribution to it. Uh, major, as you said uh, earlier. So thank you very much for all of that. And um, I will wish everybody listening a very happy language learning and we will see you at the next episode. And thanks again, Jeremy. Thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure. All right. At the end of each episode, Benny and I like to share something that we took away from our conversation with our guest. And these are things that we pick out because we feel that they are immediately actionable and can be implemented into your own language learning so that you hopefully see improvements and better results in what you're doing. So definitely try these out this week. Benny, why don't we start with you and talk about what your takeaway was? Two quick takeaways. One, I really liked the description he gave about um you know, mixing up erecto and directo. Um, that specifically, he said, this is the best mistake I've ever made. I really, really like that quote, because when we think of mistakes, we we imagine, especially a mistake like that, this is the worst mistake I ever made. It was so embarrassing. But this is the best mistake because he found a way to turn it to his advantage. And I'd love people listening who always have a negative association with mistakes that they start to think, what are the best mistakes that I've ever made? And uh, one other one that I really appreciated was his, um, his association with physical objects for helping to make that connection with people. And that having a deck of cards on, on your person can really help to get the uh, conversations flowing because that is interesting. Like somebody having a deck of cards ready to go, and the phrase book in particular, like I have so many fond memories of one single page in my phrase books. The Lonely Planet phrase books tend to have a page on like flirting. And I, I found it so hilarious that they would be absolutely useless for actually flirting, but I would find them very useful 
for making friends because I would show them, look at the phrases they say when you're having sex. And one of them is like, easy tiger. And people would find that so funny when I would like read these in my terrible accents to them. And I would have that in my pocket. And this is before smartphones. So I would I would recommend people either the phrase book from the uh, examples we've given today or just something that's personal to you. You would be surprised how interesting that might be if you have it ready to go to show somebody as a conversation starter. And that's um, that I found that so interesting his associating association with the phrase books, because that has definitely been mine with other physical items. What about your takeaway? I definitely like the finding the best mistakes one. I had a similar one between capote and capuchon in French, and I'm sure you can figure out what that one was. Um, but that, that definitely stuck with me. I never made that mistake <laughs> again. Um, but I would have to say that to pick something different from you um, would be his tip on as a language teacher, providing more encouragement. And I don't think that this is necessarily something that just needs to be used by language teachers with their students. It's something that we can use with ourselves. I think the note that I took on that was compassionate language teaching, but we can also be compassionate language learners with ourselves because we tend to be our own worst critics and be really hard on ourselves and really get down on ourselves about the mistakes that we're making, about the things that we can't do yet, about the things that we don't know how to do yet. And we could probably all use some little motivating and encouraging comments coming internally as well as externally. So I would say my actionable tip would be to be more compassionate with myself in my own language studies and to compliment myself on my language abilities a little bit more, um, but also to be a little bit more proactive and reach out to people that I'm in contact with in the language community and you know take a minute to tell them they're doing a great job too, because I think that's something that we kind of forget to do in general. Um, both with ourselves and with the people around us is tell them you're doing a good job. <laughs> and so that's my tip for this week. All right. So to wrap up, once again, all of the links and resources mentioned in this episode are available to you as a part of the show notes. And if you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast or the podcast in general, please let us know what you think over at languagehacking.com slash review. We love hearing from you and it lets us know what you like that we're doing, what we can do more of. And it's just a good place to get in touch with us and share your thoughts on the podcast. So until the next time, happy language learning. Happy language learning. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast Addict, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis, Shannon Kennedy, and Elizabeth Bruckner, and produced by Katie Pascoe, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. Theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening and happy language learning.